Welcome to the Compliance Perspectives Podcast. I'm Adam Turtletow from the Society of Corporate Compliance and Ethics and Healthcare Compliance Association. Joining us today from Austin, Texas is Jeff Hahn. Jeff is an author and the owner and principal of Hahn Communications. And today we're going to be talking about the always tricky subject of, well, sharing bad news. Um, Jeff, first, uh, I'm glad you're here to share about bad. Adam, yeah, it's great to be with you. It is, it's a strange subject, isn't it? We're happy to be talking about bad. <laughs> yes, but, you know, it, it is part and parcel of the job. And, you know, nobody likes giving bad news, but everyone has to do it. And, you know, sometimes compliance officers need to give leadership the very bad news that they found some serious illegal wrongdoing. What's the best way to share bad news to leadership? You know, when I think about that moment, and I've been in it several times myself in my 30 plus year career, I've always found that the secret to the conversation is not only to create context, which in compliance circles, maybe even engineering cultures, I would say, that can be overcooked a bit. Um, In many, I'll explain that in many situations, I've heard people trying to explain every detail about how we got to where we need where we are in a bad situation i think it's really important to create some context but keep that succinct and then as you present bad news to executives my recommendation is to use the goldilocks rule and the goldilocks Mm -hmm. rule is simply this provide three options not too hot not too cold just right in that order And um, the not too hot part of the conversation or option set can even be we should do nothing at this moment. The the um, when you say not too cold, meaning hot, it can almost be a little uh, on the fringe, on the margins, even a little bit of a nutty idea. Uh, Eventually, what will happen is the conversation will steer itself into just right. So it is the It is the creation and presentation of options that allows executives to be part of the co-creation of the path forward. Yeah, and it's certainly, I think, one of the good things about giving people options is it gives them a feeling of ownership that, you know, they're a part of the solution and that they have a stake in it um, and that it's not somebody else's problem anymore. Now, it's not just leadership, but the managers involved who have to hear it, too. Is the approach the same or is it different? Once the decision's been made on the path forward, we're going to use option two, for example. Then the conversation turns to implementation. And that's when the communication turns from less creative to more directive. That's when you actually cascade um, a central idea into stakeholder talking points. And each stakeholder, each audience has its own unique perspective on a particular issue. So think about the um, central message, the central concept as being a guide, not a rule. And then from that guide, developing ideas that will resonate for each audience in a way that is meaningful and hearable by them. 
You're taking me back again to my advertising days where always the rule was make the message relevant to the audience. It's not about what you want to say. It's about what you want them to hear. Now, how can compliance teams best support those who are then dealing uh, with the press and the public in a crisis? You know, usually their compliance folks aren't the ones front and center. It's others who have to take the heat directly. Yeah, and and you bring up a really important uh, part of the equation. Compliance teams are typically um, loaded with facts. They have data points. And the support they can give in a crisis situation is to distill a group of data points, sometimes thousands of different components or ideas, down into the essential few. And so what I, when I like working with compliance folks, it's that they have data points that are summarized in bullet form. And typically those are in the form of a chronology, what I would refer to as a TikTok. Tell me in simple form what happened first, second, then third. Typically not more than three in the in the option set. So chronologies are really important, really critical. Oftentimes the compliance team has that information. Two, Compliance teams can also provide corrective actions and corrective action options. Uh, Here is the issue. Here are the three ways that we can solve it. Again, presenting to executives is pretty cool with using that Goldilocks tool, but compliance teams are much closer to the option sets and can provide um, the corrective action ideas in a much more succinct fashion than, for example, the communications team might. Now, are there any easy mistakes to avoid? I see the most challenging uh, aspects of crisis communication in the formulation of messages that are too complex. The, The challenge in crisis isn't to try to make the complex compelling. It's to try to overcook the grits and make a single statement work for everybody and for all time. Crises by nature are dynamic kinds of situations. They require execution and messaging at moments and times of their life cycle. So trying to create a single statement with everything in it for all time is one of the things that I see that teams they make that mistake because they just want to get it done and they just want to get out of it and get away from it. Instead, a better approach is message for the moment. Here's what we know right now and uh, communicate that to stakeholders. Then inside that message and uh, say this, and we will update you in X amount of time and do that. Follow up with additional communications. So try to stay in the present and not try to solve all things for all time at once. Well, I think that's good advice because, you know, one of the things that is true about a crisis is it does tend to evolve and new information comes out. And if you're still telling the same thing over and over again, it's going to make everyone wonder, are, are you reading the information that we are? And you lose relevance there. And a second point, which I think people should remember, is one that uh, that you know the press understands you may not have a definitive answer right away, and that one of the worst things you can do is claim you have one when you don't. 
Um, I never forget a reporter when a scandal broke told me a story that he went to cover the first press conference and uh, there were all these allegations and they were just stonewalling and he said he knew they were lying you know and he said if they had said look it's a big allegation we have to investigate he said i would have given them time but once i could tell they were lying to me you know, there was no trust anymore and you know he started doing his own digging now when the dust settles um, there are often a lot of lessons that should be shared with the workforce about what happened why it happened, what we're gonna to do to keep it from happening again. What have you found resonates the most without disclosing too much information uh, about the situation? Well, I like what you've said in that um, workforce, your employees can be very good brand ambassadors and we ought to take extra pains to inform them to our best of our ability. Again, as you've said, um, situations are dynamic. We don't know everything all at once. But I think that um, being as authentic with uh, employees, with staff, so that they can turn to their networks, their circles, is good practice. There, there are um, different types of messages that can resonate most. There are other messages that don't resonate at all. And so when I think about the the that particular audience you want to remember they can check up on you from the inside and they can put a gauge on the veracity or the the authenticity of what's being said i mean simply put they're the first ones who they have the best bs meter so <laughs> let's uh Let's respect their position vis-a-vis -vis the brand. They're part of it. Um, and let's make sure that we provide an opportunity for them to digest and understand the information. What we have found with data over the time, and we've done quite a bit of research, is that there are a couple of responses that brands can use um, but shouldn't use, particularly when it comes to engaging employees. The first is absolute and outright denial unless the situation is obvious um, and it's a ridiculous claim. The other two that don't resonate well, especially with employees, is attacking the accusers. If, for example, a brand is sued by a party, um, employee audiences and most stakeholder audience do not respond well if the first message back from your brand is those people are terrible it doesn't have anything to do with the issue it's an it's a character attack so um that kind of response along with scapegoating especially scapegoating parties that are tangential to the core issue those are responses to stay away from and um I'm not saying that the better idea right now, in, in the, especially in the immediate, is to apologize right away. I think that's a terrible idea. I just know that um, when our first response is denial, attacking the accuser, or scapegoating, we have less of a chance to establish credibility, authenticity, and to allow our employee teams to be brand ambassadors. 
Well, and it's important for them to be ambassadors because you you want them to buy in uh, to what's going on. So you know they're not spreading bad or you know questionable information, but also you need to keep them motivated and you need to keep them believing that when faced with an issue, the company will do the right thing. Yeah. Well, Jeff, thank you so much for sharing these insights with us today. I want to thank all of you for taking the time to listen. I'm Adam Turtletaub from SCCE and HCCA. I hope we're able to expand your compliance perspective.